the path doesn't have to be straight. We have enough information that we can value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome to a special edition of the We Get Real AF podcast, everyone. I'm Vanessa Alava. And I'm Sue Robinson. Please join us each Tuesday and Thursday, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and subscribe, rate, and show us some love by leaving a great review when you do. In honor of Women's History Month, today's episode is an exclusive live watch party event sponsored by and for our friends at Double Verify, a tech company helping to build a better industry by pioneering digital ad verification with the commitment to preserving a free ad-supported internet, effective for brands and mindful of consumer choice across the digital ecosystem. We are delighted to be joined by DV's very own Julie Edelman. Serving as the organization's global chief commercial officer, Julie is a tech industry trailblazer with a reputation of bringing roles into existence. Leading media teams at global empires such as Procter & Gamble, Google, and now DV, her experience and guidance paired with her approachable demeanor are both respected and highly sought after. Today, she'll be sharing with us her career journey, professional insights, and her recipe for badassery as a leading lady in a male-dominated space. Julie? Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. It is awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Welcome, Julie. All right. We um, know that you have such an impressive career track record, blazing trails, stepping into leadership positions at world-renowned organizations. And we wanted you to tell us a little bit about how you've done it, your journey, and just how you've approached your career so far. Sure. Um, so I've been at DV a whole two months. It's been an awesome ride. Uh, I feel like it's better and already. It feels a little bit like two years, um, which DV has only been around 11. So I feel like, I feel like a veteran. Um, so, um, I grew up in Indianapolis. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, I went to Purdue both undergrad and grad school. So I'm a huge Purdue Boilermaker fan. I'm super bummed that neither the men or women are left in the tournament. Um, but I'm picking other teams. And in in between um, undergrad and grad school, I actually worked for the governor of Indiana, Governor Evan Bayh, who's an amazing man. I did that for a year and then ended up going to grad school at Purdue um, and got my master's in consumer behavior. So consumer behavior is a mix of marketing and psychology. So super interesting. Um, All of my classwork and all the the, um, really in-depth research that I had to do was very interesting and set me up really well to go into brand management at Procter & Gamble. So I um, took a job at Procter & Gamble in brand management, which is marketing, but also uh, P&L ownership. I worked at Procter & Gamble for about 19 years in a variety of marketing type roles. The last five years that I was at Procter & Gamble, I created and led an organization that is called Brand Operations. Um, And what that means is everything that can be done uh, better in a centralized or scaled way versus on a brand by brand basis, because Procter & Gamble is a company of amazing brands. So a lot of the 
the brand architecture work, the product development work, the product launch work is done individually within the brands or in a category. But there's a lot of things like media planning and media buying and shopper marketing and couponing and branded entertainment, sports marketing, things like that, that actually can be done better, more efficiently in a scaled manner. And that that is what was in the brand operations group. So I did that from about 2008 to about 2013-14. As the leader of that brand operations group, I had a lot of interactions with the Googles and the Facebooks and the Disneys and the NBCUs. So uh, my team and I were usually the biggest clients because P&G was the biggest media spender in the world at the time. So I had a lot of exposure to Google um, and Google was starting up a brand new global organization, first global organization that ever uh, was in existence at Google. And they were recruiting people who had worked at large companies and had also worked in in media. So I had worked at the largest uh, media spender in the world and had a lot of experience um, in media and across a variety of different brands. So I came to Google and um, ended up uh, helping start an organization that worked with the top 30 global advertisers, the top five global holding companies, and then consultancies like Bain, McKinsey, Accenture, et cetera. So we started that organization uh, from the ground up with the goal of really forming really deep partnerships and relationships with those top clients. The clients that I worked directly with were Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, General Motors, Ford, and Fiat Chrysler. So had an amazing almost seven-year run at, uh, at Google. Um, And we obviously were trying to sell more advertising, sell more Google search, sell more YouTube. But we really were trying and did elevate our strategic relationships to much more um, in-depth, data-driven, data-based marketing partnerships. Um, And in the last couple of years, uh, we're even able to get into the space where Google Cloud is a huge organization, one of the most important parts of the growth at Google currently. Um, And we were getting into how do we really transform, help these large corporate entities transform themselves through digital enterprises end to end, which uh, I would argue that Google could do, can do, uh, and will do uh, better than anybody else in the world through supply chain, through digital um, data-driven marketing um, through uh, literally manufacturing processes, et cetera. And as a part of that work at Google, um, obviously I was working with a lot of measurement partners and I was the executive sponsor of um, measurement across Google for the last two and a half years that I was there. So I was exposed to companies like Double Verify, IES, Moat, et cetera. Extremely ex- uh, uh, impressed with all of the people that I worked with at Double Verify. Um, with the technology um, and with the uh, vision that we have of really making the industry safer, more secure, more transparent uh, for all of the clients. Um, And they started talking to me and offered me the role of EVP and Chief Commercial Officer uh, about two months ago. And I'm super excited to be with all these amazing people at Double Verify now. 
What an amazing career path. Uh, and I love how you, you casually mentioned some of these very, very large organizations <laughs> like it's no big deal. Um, so I, Jules, if you could, when we were talking and about bringing you onto the show, we talked about how seven out of your 10 roles never existed prior to you taking them on and how you viewed them as a career accelerant. Can you unpack that a little? Yep, sure. By the way, I wanted to point out my purple DV, my purple DV shirt. Look at this. Yes, we love the coordination. (laughs) So beyond the amazing DV years and DV company, I love, love, love the colors of Double Verify. My entire family is super excited about my transition of wardrobe colors. Um, so yeah, you know what? I, I did not mean going into my career of saying, oh, I want to have all these roles that never existed before. Um, I've been at really big, I would say, you know, large traditional type companies, if you call Google a traditional company. Um, but what I have always been open to, even you know, before I started working in my professional career and in, in the extracurricular activities that I was involved in growing up in high school and college, is is being open to new opportunities, being open to, to doing things new and different, um, really wanting to be in established organizations, but creating something new. So I'm not sure that I have the complete entrepreneurial, like I'm going to start my own business. I'm not sure that I have that in my DNA. But what I do have in my DNA is really wanting to be innovative, um, taking risks, but what I would say is calculated risks. Um, and and really wanting to create something that's never been done before and really leaving a legacy of, um, of strong teamwork, of uh, great products, great services for whatever company or whatever consumer uh, we, I happen to be serving in that, in that uh, specific role that I had at the time. So, um, you know, I, 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 I when I was at Procter & Gamble, um, we had just started our customer business development team, which means the marketers and the sales folks that work with the Walgreens and the Walmarts and the CVSs and the Dollar Generals. So there was this new role that was called a customer team marketing manager. And I took the role with Dollar General. Uh, Dollar General is now, I don't even know, probably an $8 billion company. At the time, I think they were a $2 billion company and Procter & Gamble only had uh, three or four different types of products that were actually on the shelf at Dollar General. And, and our goal was to really work with Dollar General, understand who their consumer was and how we could offer better products that could serve um, Dollar General. And by the time that I left, we had 40% year over year growth, um, you know, and, and, and offered the entire uh, array of Procter & Gamble products at the Dollar General store. And then I came back, I had a fairly traditional role where I was the Pringles brand manager, which was absolutely a blast. If you can ever be the brand manager or run a brand um, of a a teen teen focused brand that's food, it was absolutely awesome because all the consumer work that we did uh, was was behind mirrors and in houses with people stuffing themselves with uh, snack foods. It was awesome. Once you pop, you can't stop, right? (laughs) (laughs) It was awesome. And then then there was a role that was was, uh, at at Procter & Gamble that was focused on African-American media and starting branded entertainment um, at P&G. So a role that nobody had ever done before, but that had a huge impact um, on how Procter & Gamble was reaching their consumers, reaching all consumers through branded entertainment um, and reaching the important uh, African-American consumer in ways that 
those consumers had not been spoken to, marketed to, or products developed for. Um, and then I just I had a variety of roles. Like I said, I, I created and led the brand operations organization at PNG that had never been there before. And then when I went to Google, I, I started, I was part of starting the first ever global organization at Google. And I got to tell you, when I got there, it was not easy um, trying to put a global organization together from a company that, um, um, like every other company in the world, is fairly siloed and is very much country by country P&L, profit and loss focused, to, to bringing all of those cross-functional partners and all of those variety of products together on a global basis to serve very demanding uh, global clients like a Coke, McDonald's, Ford. Um, it was not it was not easy, but I got to tell you, I, I, I learned a ton, uh, not only about technology, about serving consumers in new and different ways, um, but you know, working in those new verticals and those new industries that I had not had exposure to. I learned a ton about the auto industry. Um, and and the challenges that they're having from going from um, you know uh, you know regular gas powered um, automobiles to the future of the electric vehicle, and it was amazing, you know, uh, helping them use Google data. Uh, Google's the best database uh, of of consumer focused data in the world to try to figure out how General Motors, how Fiat Chrysler, how Ford is going to develop their electric vehicles and then market market those um, to the future consumers. So now, I, now I'm at Double Verify. Um, there's, there's never been a role that um, is the chief commercial officer, which is combining our sales organization with our client services organization. Um, and I, I think that it's an amazing opportunity for us to be able to truly serve our clients uh, in a holistic end-to-end way to be able to um, get their input up front in our product development uh, and then be able to service them with the, the best world-class service that any uh, any person or any client uh, company in our, in our industry can absolutely do. So super excited about the opportunity that we have at DV. Awesome. I love, Julie, that you mentioned, um, we talk about with our guests, a lot of them that have been um, startup you know, founders. And I love that you said that being as successful as you are, that you may not have that entrepreneurial like spirit in that regard, but that you took calculated risks and you wanted to be, create influence and impact in organizations to make them better. And you've had an amazing career doing that very thing. And I think people need to hear that because a lot of this like side hustle thing is very glamorized when it, it may not be for everyone. It's a lot of work. And I will also say, um, you touched on the fact that you built multiple skill sets and you learned a lot of, about a lot of different industries. Um, we are on this app called Clubhouse. It's an audio social platform. And Randy Zuckerberg was on there recently. And she talked about how women are portfolio people because we're not just about one skill set or one career path. And I think that you really illustrate that, that you've, you've really been open to learning and putting yourself out there and trying very different skill sets, very different experiences and very different networks in order to advance your career. Could you just touch lightly on how that has played an important role for you? Absolutely. You know, I think, I think it's incredibly important to be a well-rounded leader with skill sets in leadership, in communication, in collaboration, in 
project management in, uh, you know, one thing that I have told a lot of people at Double Verify and I talk to a lot of people at Google about is everybody's a marketer and everyone's a seller. No matter what you do, if you're a marketer, you're a seller. If you're a seller, you're a marketer. If you're a product person, you've got to be able to sell your idea in order to get people to want to make your make your product and then uh, have a company sell it. So I think it's extremely important to um Think about where you where you really want to be um, in your next role and in your next role after that. And what are the skill sets? What are the experiences that you need to develop, usually in a six to 12 month period of time, in order to get to that next stage, in order to get to that, that next role? Um, and if you are trying to get into management, you know, in order to get to that next level, so that then you can coach and train other people. I think a really important fact here is to understand where you might not have your natural tendencies of strength. So my natural tendencies of strength, uh, of, of not, not strength, I would say my weaknesses, my opportunity areas, as my boss always said. Uh, I like that. I like that too. I'm writing <laughs> that down. Uh, opportunity areas, uh, not weaknesses, um, is finance. Um, and then... Um, you know, really strict operational rigor. Uh, those are not my natural strengths, but in order to do the job that I'm doing right now and in order to do um, the jobs and the levels of responsibility that I've had over the last 10 years, I had to develop those. And you have to determine with your manager how you can go about doing that. So you might be able to take a course, which is what I did in finance. Actually, I took a variety of different really hardcore finance classes that I hated, but made me better at finance. Um, and then uh, at Procter & Gamble about 15 years ago, when I was talking to my, to my manager um, about operational discipline, he said, he, he said, who do you think um, has the best operational discipline uh, that you've ever seen? And I'm going to say her name. Her name is Monica Turner. She's now the vice president of sales, very senior leader at Procter & Gamble. And you would think naturally that it would not be a salesperson, of anyone at Procter & Gamble when we have manufacturing plants and, and a lot of operational rigor, who I admired uh, for the, the, the trait of operational rigor, but she was absolutely outstanding at her approach from, from start to finish and from end to end. And she had really, really good process management capabilities. And she spent a year with me mentoring me and coaching me and training me. Um, and I am so much better for that. So I think you really need to understand what uh, opportunity areas you need to develop, align those with your manager, and then figure out how you can go about uh, improving those. Awesome. Brilliant. Such great advice. Yes. Hey, everybody. Sam McLean here from InPhase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, inphase.biz. Thanks for listening. I know something near and dear to your heart is the Global Sports Mentoring Program. Please let us know what that program is and what your involvement's been. Absolutely. And I cannot wait for Double Verify to get uh, involved in this. So the Global Sports Mentoring Program uh, is a... Uh, organization um, or an initiative that was founded uh, almost 10 years ago now. Next year is going to be our 10th uh, year, our 10th anniversary, 
by Hillary Clinton when she was um, Secretary of State by the U.S. Department of State um, and ESPN collectively with a variety of companies, agencies, uh, and sporting organizations where they bring 15 to 20 women to the United States for about five weeks. Um, and the goal is for those women to meet each other collectively, uh, you know, build a sisterhood and support that will be with them for the rest of their life. What they do is they go to Washington, D.C. for about four days and they learn all about um, the United States and how we approach partnerships, um, how we uh, are able to build strategic plans, especially between nonprofits, companies, local organizations, because uh, the U.S. does have a reputation of doing that best in class around the world. So they work with the U.S. Department of State, um, the University of Tennessee Center for Sport, Peace, and Society, um, and a few folks from ESPN to do that groundwork, kind of that foundation for four or five days in Washington, D.C. Then those women go all over the United States, and they spend about three weeks with the sponsoring organizations. Um, so uh, when we are able to do this in person the next time, which unfortunately will be next year, next October likely, uh, because of COVID restrictions, um, they'll come to Double Verify. So super excited about being able to host them. Um, this started 10 years ago when I was at Procter & Gamble. So they came to Cincinnati uh, for about three weeks. I was able to set them up with a variety of experts in different areas, experts in grant writing, experts in brand building framework, experts in um, you know, developing a financial plan, um, experts in sports marketing. So they, they do some of that training throughout their three, work, three weeks. They spend a, a variety of time uh, with me working on a specific action plan that then they are going to go back to their home, home country and implement. And it's a variety of different types of action plans. I'll get to that um, in a second. But they're, they're meeting with these people, they're meeting with me, and we're kind of collectively every day, every two days, refining and working on that action plan. Um, so they get they get really close with with me and my family. And by that family, I mean my individual family, the Procter & Gamble family. When I went to Google, part of my negotiations for going to Google was for Google and Procter & Gamble to co-host these mentees, um, and everyone agreed to do that. So now they're part of the Procter & Gamble and Google family. Uh, and when I came to Double Verify as part of my negotiations with our amazing CEO, Mark Zagorski, I said, hey, there's something that's super, super important to me and that I know will really give back to the Double Verify culture. Um, and people will be really excited about it. So now it's going to be Double Verify, Google, and Procter and & Gamble co-hosting these mentees and really teaching them and helping them refine these action plans and some of the skill sets that they need specific help on for their organization or for their action plan to then go back to their home country uh, to implement. So some of the some of the action plans that, that um, the mentees that we have had focused on, one was um, from India all around um, self-defense, specifically women and girls, but really offered self-defense clinics to people uh, all around India. Um, another one uh, is setting up a soccer field and a soccer team, the only all-girls all women soccer team in Brazil, for, for example. And she's actually doing a fundraiser right now, trying to get $250,000 to establish their own field. Um, 
you, you, Brazil is an amazing country, but sometimes there's some issues and problems with violence, especially violence against women and girls, and they need to have their own protected area uh, to be able to really learn the fundamentals of soccer and be able to build their skill sets um, and expertise around soccer. And if you think about Brazil, some of the best soccer players, both men and women in the world have come from Brazil. So I know that this is going to make a really big, a uh, really big difference in bringing those uh, Brazilian girls and women to the forefront of soccer or football, which is an amazing global phenomenon right now. So We've had we've had uh, eleven women from around the world. They're all absolutely amazing. They are like, they're not like daughters because they're a little bit older than that. Most of them are between thirty and forty-five. They're they're like my younger sisters. Um, we love them so much, and they are incredibly inspiring about things that they are doing each and every day. What an amazing opportunity! Exactly, and how inspiring for the people in the U.S. organizations to be able to see their ideas and their input, making real impact around the world. I mean, I just love that. I think that's so smart um, and it's just a gift that keeps giving. I, I know that sports are very important to you and women, op- women's opportunities in sports are important. And we have spoken with other guests who have said, when girls play sports or are in, involved in um, organized athletics growing up, they tend to have higher leadership rates uh, later on in their careers. Is that something that you've seen? And could you unpack that a little bit for us of where you think those skill sets intersect? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think I am incredibly passionate about sports. People get tired of me talking about sports and involvement in sports and my fanaticism of many different teams. Um, but that's what I'm passionate about. I think it also is true for things like music and art, etc. I think if you're really involved and you um, you know, you are passionate about that as you're growing up and, and you, uh, you know, are, you are learn discipline and resilience and teamwork and leadership. I think that's I think that's incredibly important, no matter what type of activity you're passionate about. I think for sports in particular, um, just the leadership that is needed in order to be really successful in sports absolutely translates to the business world or to the education world or whatever field you're going into, I think it's incredibly important. Um, The importance of teamwork, even if you're in an individual sport, um, there is still teamwork with your coaches, with your trainers, with your parents, whatever is involved in order to get you to an elite level that you really understand how to bring in resources where you need to bring in resources to, uh, to be able to reach those goals that you've set. And um, when you're involved in athletics, you do learn how to set goals, how to set really stretching goals. And what is the hard work? What is the teamwork? What are the milestones that you need to be able to accomplish along the way in order to get to those goals? So I have seen um, men and women that are involved in sports be very successful in the business world. And I think probably the, the most comprehensive study is uh, from Ernst & Young, where over 90%, I think it's 94% of women in the C-suite participated in sports growing up because they have learned these skills um, through their sports involvement as, as they've uh, grown up. It's also building relationships, right? Um, I just made some notes here, but leveraging each individual team member's strengths and trust, trusting those team members to cross the finish line, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're involved in a team sport, basketball, soccer, whatever it might be, um, you're not going to win that game by yourself. And that is true for anything in business. 
You've got to have teams. You got to have people who know their roles at that specific time, execute those roles flawlessly, um, and you're gonna you're gonna accomplish so much more as a team than you would individually. So, absolutely critical to understand teamwork. Hundred percent, Jules. We have just loved hearing about what you're doing now and how you got there. And I think so much of who we are as people in our adult lives obviously goes back to our childhood and our upbringing and the values that we had and the kind of experiences that we had back then. So we would love to unpack that with you a little bit and have you tell us a little bit about your family um, and your your early years and your early experiences. Sure. Um, so I grew up uh, basically in the Midwest, uh, Indianapolis, Champaign, Illinois, spent a few years in Baldwinsville, New York, which is a suburb of Syracuse. Um, and about the only thing I remember about that is I was five years old and the snowbanks were taller than I was, which is crazy. I was going to say cold. Which in is crazy. <laughs> I grew up in that kind of place too. But it was awesome. It was fun. I remember tobogganing. Um, so all good memories. But most of my time uh, really was spent in Champaign, Illinois, in Indianapolis. I'm one of four girls. I'm third in the line. Uh, have a mom and a dad who are fortunately uh, still with us today. Super, super, super tight family. Um, my parents were always extremely uh, supportive of whatever we wanted to do individually. There were some things that all of us did um, because they really did want us to do them. For example, we were all 10-year 4-H'ers. Uh, my parents have been leaders for 60 years, I believe now. Um, but then we all had individual things that we did also, uh, swimming, basketball, track, uh, student government debate. Um, I was the head clown when I was 10 years old and I absolutely loved it. So, you know, I think, I think uh, my parents, what I really admire, respect and try to do, which is really hard, uh, hardest job in the world is being a parent is, is to really, um, you know, love your kids unconditionally. And my parents absolutely loved each and every one of us unconditionally, but be, be willing um, and able to push your kids, support your kids um, to be able to be the best that they can be. They might not be great at sports. They might not be great at school. They might not be great at the debate team, but whatever they're passionate about, whatever they really want to spend their time doing is to, to really support them doing that. So, you know, my parents always, uh, you know, emphasized hard work. There's absolutely no question that I have the Midwest, um, you know, work ethic. Um, from being involved in so many different activities um, really gave me the skill of time management. Um, so I am extremely disciplined at knowing what I need to get done when. I grew up swimming, so I was up at 430 in the morning, went to practice, you know, from 5.30 to 7.30 and took a shower and went to went to school and then got done with school and did a couple more hours of, of swimming and weights. Um, and then, you know, usually like three hours of, of, of homework. Um, but it was all everything that I enjoyed. Like I would not have been a swimmer. I would not have been a basketball player. I would not have done 4-H if I didn't love it and was not passionate about it. And I think that's uh, something that my parents really instilled in me. And then the other thing I would say is my sisters are incredible. Uh, we're we're really, really, really close. We are not very much alike at all. N not any one of us. We're very different. Um, we all have the same values, I would say, of integrity and hard work and, you know, loving your family. Um, but we've just really supported each other uh, throughout my entire lifetime. Um, you know, they've done a variety of things, lawyers, school teachers, 
um, stay at home moms. Um, but no matter what any of us have decided to do at that particular time, uh, they've just been, they've just been unbelievably supportive. And, you know, as my parents have gotten a little older and they've needed a little bit of help, uh, they've done, they've done the heavy lifting. I mean, I live two and a half hours away. They live a little bit closer. Um, I get there when I can, and I get there even more frequently now because I know every minute that I spend with them is precious and I don't want to get too emotional here. Um, but my, my sisters have, have, have really taken on the heavy lifting when I've needed them to, to take on the heavy lifting as I've been traveling around the world the last seven years um, with the global roles that I've been in. So just incredibly grateful uh, and thankful. And I know, I know not everyone has that and has had that. Um, and I think it's really important as we are connecting with people on a daily basis. Um, and I would say, especially over the last year in COVID, to just be as empathetic as we possibly can be with people and ask them how they are. Because not everybody had the childhood that I had growing up. Not everybody has, you know, the two acres that I live on in Cincinnati in a suburb. A lot of people are, you know, in, in New York or in Paris or in London or in Tokyo in really small apartments. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of challenges that people have on a daily basis. And I think, being as empathetic and reaching out and listening uh, as much as we possibly can is, is something that all, also that my parents taught me uh, that I think is really important. Absolutely. Uh, gratitude and checking in, I think are super important. How has your upbringing translated into the raising of your own children and now your influence as a grandmother? Yeah. So like I said, being a, being a parent is the hardest job that you've got. So, um, I need an org chart to explain my, uh, my nuclear family. Uh, but I have a wife who's amazing, Diane. Uh, she's retired from PNG. She was there 32 years. I had an amazing career there. Um, and I have a former partner, former wife, uh, April, who lives about a mile away. Uh, we have a very good, uh, relationship and a great working relationship with raising the kids. Um, Di has a, has a former partner and together, um, we have five children together. So it's a lot. So we have a 14 year old son, 16 year old daughter, 23 year old daughter, 25 year old daughter, and 34 year old son. Um, so, uh, any day and a grandson, amazing, amazing grandson, Griffin, who's about 16 months old now. Um, but I got to tell you, like every day, especially with that age range, there is something, there is something <laughs> and, it, and they take turns, right? And it, <laughs> they tag team a little bit. <laughs> and if you think about that age range, there is, you know, there is something, something very different every day. Um, I got to tell you the thing that my, my parents taught me, um, you know, more than anything is just to love unconditionally, no matter what, no matter what they've done, no matter what challenge they face. Um, is to is to love your kids, love your grandkids, love your family and your friends um, unconditionally because it's going to make a huge a huge difference in their life. Uh, the other thing that I would say is, um, you know, there there are going to just be different challenges through different phases of their life, and when they're in that moment, it's really hard to see out of that. Like it's really hard to see out of some of the drama and challenges of a 14 year old boy or a 16 year old girl. Um, and, and it might, sometimes they might not act like they're listening to you, but they are listening. I, they are listening. They want your advice. They want your experience. They want your encouragement. 
Um, and no matter what, I think it's really important for me um, and all of their parents. They've got a lot of parents, four or five moms, depending on how you look at it, um, to, to really, you know, to, to really be honest with them and to be transparent with them and to give them tough love when they when they need the tough love. I've got daughters who are in their 20s, and I could not agree more with what you just said. And my sister gave me advice when my kids were little, and she said, remember not to sweat the small stuff, and it's almost all small stuff when you look back. And I that kind of stuck with me, and I think it's really true. So I, I love that you shared that. We wanted to give you an opportunity to share a really cool story that you shared with us earlier about a sixth grade basketball <laughs> playground incident and how you handled it. Cause I think it's such a great insight into your uh, go-getterness throughout your life. Yeah, there's a long story. So I'll try to make it short, but uh, <laughs> I went to a, a sixth grade uh, elementary school in Indianapolis. Um, uh, it happened to be a, a Catholic grade school. Um, and there, there was a park across the street. So, um, and, and, but right by the school was a blacktop area where everyone in the school, first through sixth grade, plus the sixth grade girls could play on recess, could play for recess. Like that's the only place that all of the first through fifth grade boys and girls and sixth grade girls could play. But the boys got to go across the street and play basketball. And I was like, why? It was the first time, and it's really one of the only times that I have ever experienced discrimination. I've been extremely fortunate. Um, and I was like, this does not seem right. Like, I, it, it was not a very busy street. And if the boys can go across the street, then the girls should be able to go across the street. And we should be able to play basketball if we want to. We should be able to play basketball against ourselves or, better yet, let's actually play basketball with the guys. Um, so nobody had ever pushed this boundary, which I could not believe. It's a long time ago, I'm a little bit old. Um, but I had an amazing sixth grade teacher named Mrs. Hall, who was 6'1", and had actually played basketball when she was in elementary school. And I went to her and I said, Mrs. Hall, I don't understand why the girls can't go across the street um, and play basketball. Um, and there happened to be a fellow sixth grade boy who overheard me, you know, pushing these boundaries, which I did not think was a very big deal. And he made a little bit of a uh, interesting comment that said, girls shouldn't be able to go across the street and play basketball. I could beat you with one hand tied behind my back. And I was like, really? <laughs> I, I'm a decent athlete. Uh, one hand tied behind your bas- back is pretty challenging to play basketball. So Mrs. Hall uh, got alignment from the principal for us to be able to play a one-on-one basketball game uh, on the blacktop. Uh, The entire school or several grades were around us watching us. I beat him with one hand tied behind his back pretty handily. um, And very quickly thereafter, uh, the principal allowed the sixth grade girls, none of the other kids, because I I understand that it was a little bit dangerous and they didn't want too many people to be going across the street. But the sixth grade girls got to go across the street and be able to play basketball the rest of the year. And that is the point at which Julie Edelman arrived, ladies and gentlemen, in elementary school. Not many people can say that. (laughs) Breaking boundaries ever since. All right. We have come to the point in the show. It's one of our favorite parts. It's called the lightning round, Jules. And we wanted to know if you're up for the challenge. These are questions that we like to ask all of our guests to get to know them on a little bit more of a personal level. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Finish this phrase. Women are? Strong. What three pieces of advice would you give your younger self? 
I think I would give my younger self and my current self and anyone that I, that I live and work with. Um, and I've said this before is just like love deeply, love deeply and passionately. Um, the people that you work with, your family, your friends. Um, I've had, again, I don't want to get emotional, but I've had two close friends pass away of cancer in the last couple of years. And I, I believed this before, but I believe it even more now. Um, so, so I am going to love my kids like crazy every day. I'm going to love my wife like crazy every day. I'm going to love my family and I'm going to love all the DVers. Uh, whether they want it or not. Um, I cannot wait to give everybody a hug. Uh, it might be a year from now, but I cannot wait. Um, my my equity and 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 uh, w- what I've done for many years is to really v- care very deeply and love very deeply. The other thing I would say, you know, from a career perspective is to really um, have a plan. Think about what you want to do in your next role and in your next role. Like, I think it's really important to think kind of three to four years out. But then again, be flexible and adaptable when opportunities arise. Because if I, you know, had set my mind to what I wanted to do two roles from now, I never would have uh, accepted the job at Double Verify. And I'm super excited about the opportunities that we have. And then I think the final one, incredibly importantly, and this is where my parents would say, maybe you take it a little bit too far, Julie, is to have fun. Um, I also have a reputation for uh, really liking to have a good time. That could mean having a beer or having a glass of wine, um, but it means having fun in everyday life, in everyday meetings. Um, as we are working really, really hard, we need to play. We need to play together. We need to have fun together, and we need to get need to get to know each other on a deeper basis because that's really what life's all about. Yes, love Absolutely. deeply, be flexible, and have fun. <laughs> what was the worst piece of advice you were ever given, Jules? I think counter to what I just said, and this person is an amazing person. I, I love him and still keep in touch with him. But uh, he said, if you ever want to be a CEO, um, you've got to remove yourself personally from the everyday being of the people that are on your team. You cannot be so involved. You cannot care so deeply about everything that's going on with your team every day. And basically I said, if that's what it takes to be a CEO, then I don't want to be a CEO. So I have never changed my style. I have never changed my personality. And the people who have worked with me and worked around me in the past, uh, I think have have appreciated that. It's it's, uh, made it a lot more fun and a lot more meaningful to work together. Absolutely. Valuing those relationships. Yeah. Very smart. Okay. What celebrity would you cast to play you in a movie? I would probably say Hillary Swank. People have said that before. She's, you know, pretty smart, pretty practical, very approachable. And some people- Pretty badass. Yeah. It all applies. Very flexible, <laughs> a little bit of a chameleon. Uh, so Hillary Swank. Cool. Awesome. How do you define success? This is a tough one. And I think it, um, you know, I think it might vary depending on what life stage you're in. But I think, you know, being able to look yourself in the mirror and know that you have loved deeply, that you've cared deeply, that you have given everything you have um, every day uh, to whatever you are working on, um, I think is 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 critically important. Um, and And very, very importantly to me and what I learned from amazing people, but I would say especially the amazing women, at Procter and Gamble is to turn and pull, turn and pull those people around you, especially the people that are younger than you. Um, turn them, look, look around, pull them up, teach them, mentor them, spend time on developing their skills. 
because again, no matter what you're doing in an educational forum, in a business, in a community service, those are the people that are going to be running things after you. So you need to build up their skills, their experiences, um, and set them up for success. What is something about you that people would be surprised to know? Uh, nothing. I am an open book. <laughs> I would love if anybody uh, who, who is listening to this or hears this, if they have something that's surprising, I would actually be surprised. <laughs> Fair enough. What myth about women in STEM would you like to dispel? Yeah, I think there's a lot of myths about women in STEM. I, you know, I think um, I, I think the biggest thing would be um, that that we're not uh, flexible and adaptable enough to be able to look creatively for solutions that have never been an issue before. In tech and in STEM, there's literally new things that come up every day, literally every day. Especially if you, you know, you think about hardcore tech, hardcore uh, AI, v- VR, et cetera, um, there are new and different challenges that come up every single day, especially in product development, in design development, et cetera. Um, and, and women, feminine characteristics, I think, are actually incredibly flexible, incredibly adaptable, incredibly creative. And making sure um, that the teams that are around the women are taking the opportunity to make sure that they have a voice in that creativity, in that adaptability, I think is critically important. Absolutely. I think it circles all the way back to the beginning of our conversation when we talked about women being portfolio personalities and how valuable that is to organizations. All right. Last question of the lightning round, Jules, fill in the blank, blank like a girl. I would say lead like a girl. So lead with strength, but also be empathetic and be adaptable. Awesome. Jules, this has been amazing. Thank you to you. Thank you to Double Verify for having this amazing watch party experience. Um, Thank you for being so vulnerable with us and for leading with compassion and Mm -hmm. for loving deeply because I love that. Yeah, I do too. I just, uh, everything that you said is so inspiring and so authentic and you're showing what a leader looks like who is a well-rounded, caring, whole person. And I think that's so important. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing your voice today. We want to take this opportunity to highlight some charities related to the fields of STEM and women in tech who we featured on We Get Real AF. These organizations make a direct impact on the UN Sustainable Development Goals. The first one is Rewriting the Code, founded by Sue Harnett in Raleigh, North Carolina. This organization helps college and early career women succeed in their degrees and launching their tech careers through mentorship, internship, skills development, and much more. It's episode 35 of the podcast. Uh, The next one is Born Just Right, episodes 16 and 17 of the podcast. This is a charity that pairs children who have disabilities with engineers and designers who help them design super-powered prosthetics. It's an amazing organization. Go check it out. Two-Bit Circus Foundation, founded by Dr. Leah Haynes. This organization helps children in underserved communities explore STEAM, science, tech, engineering, arts, and math. They do this through summer robotics camps, teacher training, and traveling STEAM carnivals that inspire kids to explore their creative possibilities of technology. That's episode six of the podcast. And the Annie Cannons Incorporated Foundation. This is episode 11. Our guest, Laura Hackney, co-founded this organization that supports victims of human trafficking by teaching them coding skills, transforming marginalized people into app developers, website builders, and software designers, and breaking the cycle of victimization. It's an awesome organization. 
If you're interested in donating directly to each charity's giving page. That's right. Thank you again, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WeGetRealAF. And visit our website at www.WeGetRealAF.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. And we want to give a special thanks to Florence Lumsden, our associate producer for the We Get Real AF podcast. You can find Flo on LinkedIn at Florence Lumsden, L-U-M-S-D-E-N, or at her website, danceandflowproductions.com. That's D-A-N-C-I-N-F-L-O Productions. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.